The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 26, a Psalm of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, improve me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Uh, let's see here. We're in Numbers 31, 25 through 54. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast, you and Eleazar the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war and who went out to battle and all the congregation. And levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle, one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep from all the livestock and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eleazar the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. The booty remaining from the plunder which the men of war had taken was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately. And the half, the portion for those who had gone out to war was in number 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eleazar the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. And from the children of Israel's half, which Moses separated from the men who fought, now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50, drawn from man and beast, and gave them to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then the officers, who were over thousands of the army, the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, came near to Moses. And they said to Moses, Your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command, and not a man of us is missing. Therefore we have brought an offering for the Lord, what 
Every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer, the priest, received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. The man of war had taken spoil every man for himself, and Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. It's a lot of verses. Don't worry, it'll go really quickly, okay? In the doctrinal and ethical portion of his commentary on this passage, John Lang equates what we see in Numbers chapter 31 with what the Christian should be involved in at all times, meaning a battle against the foe. He says, as Jehovah is Israel's God, who has bound himself with them, so every attack upon Israel is an attack upon God. The analogy which holds between the war of Israel against the Midianites and the Christian warfare of all the people of God against his foes and theirs is suggestive and instructive. It is certain that he is not referring to a war against non-believers such as the Crusades. What we see in Israel is an earthly nation selected to be the people of God and who are to be obedient to him in all ways. As he directs, they are to comply. At times, what the Lord directs in the Old Testament may hurt our modern sensibilities. Think of last week's sermon, okay? But the Lord is God and his judgments are his alone. Our possible dislike of what he has commanded does not negate that what he commanded is right and that what his people did in the execution of his commands was also right. Last week, we saw that Midian was to face vengeance for what they did, and they indeed received the full measure of it. This week, we'll see the rewards for Israel's obedience to the call. And along with their rewards, they display something quite often neglected by the Lord's people, both in the Bible and in our daily life. Our text verse comes from Psalm 77. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. The psalmist said that he would remember the works and wonders of the Lord and that he would also meditate on them and talk of them. It is a note of gratitude for the Lord's hand upon his life. It is the sin of ingratitude which must most fill the hearts of Christians in general. Maybe not at first, but as the years go by, we forget that the debt we were forgiven and the mercies we were shown were not just small things, but that they bear infinite weight. Of ingratitude, Benjamin Franklin said, most people return small favors, acknowledge medium ones, and repay greater ones with ingratitude. That is certainly true with the Christian. When we pray about our sick dog, we are grateful when it gets better and we decide to do something good to return to the Lord the favor, maybe by praying for another person's sick dog. That seems fair. When we have something pretty big happen in our life, we will generally acknowledge it. The Lord sure pulled me out of that fire. I could have died, but the cancer was cured. Maybe I'll go to church Sunday. Oh, just one Sunday though. But of the greatest favor of all, that of being forgiven of all of our sin, and granted new life in Christ, it is sadly true that most Christians repay the Lord with a state of complete ingratitude. Really, 
Think about the lives of those believers we know and see if how they conduct themselves is as if they are truly, truly grateful. I think that for the most part, you will see that we really don't demonstrate a level of gratitude commensurate with the size of the favor that was bestowed upon us. Obviously, we can never repay an infinite, but at least we have an infinite amount of time to try. The problem is that it's easier to put it off until sometime later. And later is, after all, an infinite all by itself. Israel demonstrates gratitude in today's verses, and when they do, Moses and Eliezer take the sign of that gratitude and lay it up before the Lord as a memorial. The word there is zikaron. That comes from zakar, or remember, which is the exact word the psalmist used in our text verse, saying that he would remember the works of the Lord. Let us remember the works of the Lord and let his works be as a memorial to us that we never forget and never fail to be grateful for what he has done for us. Let the eternal later not be found on our lips or in our actions. Today, somebody sent me a letter. It's in my bag over here. And he said, I'd like to take you up on the offer of providing me with some of your tracks. So guess what I did? I walked in back and I got a whole handful of tracks and they're, they're going to be mailed out this week. This guy wants to thank the Lord for what he was offered and what he accepted and he wants to now offer it to somebody else. They're sitting there, folks. Whole pile of them. Instead, may we be grateful right now and forever and let us do so through the holy war that we engage in. Not an earthly, fleshly battle, but a spiritual one that we have been charged to fight. And in the conduct of our war, then our deeds of faith in that battle can be stored up as their own memorial before God of our own faithfulness to his kind hand upon us. This is a precept which has been given to us in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is much plunder. It's verses 25 through 47. A bunch of verses, it'll go very quickly. Verse 25, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the translation is incorrect. In fact, very few translations caught the change. Such an introductory phrase normally says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying. Here it says the much rarer, and the Lord said to Moses saying. The Hebrew words for spoke and said carry essentially the same idea. It is that of conveying a message, but said is more concise. It usually means the task is complex and requires a partnership and people working together. This is what will be seen. Verse 26, count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast. Sa'et rosh malkoach hashevi, lift up the head of the plunder of the captive. It is a way of saying that each head is to be counted of the living prey. That is further defined as ba'adam uba or of man and of beast. All that was taken as living prey is what is being spoken of here. Verse 26 continues, you and Eliezer the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation. These are certainly required so that no one could later say that an unfair counting was made. The leader, the high priest, and all of the rache or heads of the congregation would be included in the counting. Thus, it would be a fair and unbiased counting. Verse 27, and divide the plunder into two parts, between those who took part in the war, who went out to battle, and all the congregation. The idea here is that all of the living spoil was gathered in one whole, and then it was divided equally into two parts. The division would be without partiality so that no one could say they got the better half. 
From there, one half would go to those who went to the battle, a small portion of the whole number of Israel. As there were over 600,000 counted as ready for battle in the recent census, and as only 12,000 of those were selected, the division seems hugely one-sided and unfair. But it is not. By dividing it this way, it would spur those who went to battle or who were battle-capable in the future to willingly go out to fight. These 12,000 represented the whole, and they had earned what was won in battle. But the congregation was still entitled to a half because they were represented by their fighting men who had gone out to war. For any who died in battle, a portion would naturally be set aside for the tribe as an honor of their fallen hero. What comes later in this passage does not negate this division, rather it highlights it. Verse 28, and levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle. And raise a computation to Jehovah. The verb is rum. It signifies to lift up or raise. It is the basis for the word terumah or heave offering. This is what is being conveyed. It is to be as a heave offering to the Lord. The word translated as tribute is a new word, mekes. It signifies a computation or a tax. It will be seen six times in this passage and then nowhere else in the Bible. This first mekes is to be taken from the half set apart for those who went out to battle. Verse 28 continues, one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep. Here it says, echad nefesh, or one soul. It defines the beings as living. Of the living beings, one of every 500 of each category is to be raised up to the Lord. Verse 29, take it from their half and give it to Eliezer, the priest, as a heave offering to the Lord. The idea here is that this is one-fifth of a percent, and it would be the Lord's portion as an acknowledgement that the victory was ultimately his. This was to be given to Eliezer, who represented the Lord, and who stood as representative of the priests who would be included in the reception of the offering. Verse 30, And from the children of Israel's half you shall take one of every fifty drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep from all the livestock. Instead of one-fifth of a percent, which was drawn out from the warrior's half, here two percent is drawn out from the people's half. There is the obvious reason that because their risks were less, their taxed portion should be greater. Secondly, it is because who receives what is drawn off in this two percent portion. Verse 30 continues, and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. Whereas there are few priests, there are many Levites. Therefore, as a suitable offering to them for their service between the priests and the people, they were given a larger percent from the people's half. One can see here how the troops who went to battle were reckoned as the Lord's army. Phineas, the priest, went with them. Thus, they represented the Lord in battle. The people who remained at camp remained under the service of the Levites. Thus, the portions which have been levied from the two halves reflect these divisions. As it says, the Levites are those who keep the charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. This is the fifth of nine times that the term Mishkan Yehovah, or tabernacle of the Lord, is used. When the term is used, it anticipates the person of Christ because every part of the tabernacle reflects him and his work. Do you remember that from the book of Exodus and some in Leviticus? If you don't remember every single detail, in perfect detail in your mind, I want you to go back and watch every one of the sermons tonight. The Levites are those who minister standing in the place of the firstborn of the congregation, and thus they represent Christ, the firstborn of God. 
Each thing that we see and are seeing anticipates Christ in one way or another. The offerings made anticipate offerings made to God in Christ. Verse 31, so Moses and Eliezer the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. It is the standard note of compliance. The Lord is commanded, and the command is attended to according to his word. Verse 32, the booty remaining from the plunder which the men of war had taken. What this means is not clear. It could mean that what is going to be detailed here is besides the other plunder not included in the living beings, some of which will be detailed in verse 50. Or it could be the plunder that was left after the women and boys had been killed and any animals eaten by the army during the campaign. Either way, after whatever is being referred to, the following amounts of plunder to be divided are given. Verse 32 continues, was 675,000 sheep. With a total of sheep at 675,000, this would mean 337,500 for the soldiers and 675 from that to the Lord, meaning to the priests. It would mean that each soldier, each soldier got 28 sheep as well. The people's half would also be 337,500, and the Levites would receive 6,750 from that. Verse 33, 72,000 cattle. A total of 72,000 cattle means 36,000 for the soldiers, and 72 from that to the Lord, meaning to the priests. It would mean that each soldier got three cattle as well. The people's half would also be 36,000, and the Levites would receive 720 from that. Can you see why other people are starting to want to go to war now? Verse 34, 61,000 donkeys. A total of 61,000 donkeys means 30,500 for the soldiers, and 61 to the Lord, meaning to the priests. It would mean that each soldier got two donkeys, but there would be 6,500 extra that would need to be divided in some fair way between them. The people's half would be 30,500, and the Levites would receive 610 from that, verse 35, and 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately. A total of 32,000 young virgins meant 16,000 for the soldiers and 32 to the Lord, meaning to the priests. There would be one virgin for each soldier, but there would be about 4,000 extra that would need to be divided in some fair way between them. The people's half would be 16,000, and the Levites would receive 320 from that. Verse 36, and the half, the portion for those who had gone out to war, was in number 337,500 sheep. This is the warrior's half, as noted. It would mean that each soldier got 28 sheep. Also, verse 37, and the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The priests being small in number, fared very well. Verse 38, the cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. This is the warrior's half. As noted, it would mean that each soldier received right at three cattle, with the priests 72 being taken out first. Now, why did I give you all of the numbers for the priests already and it's saying it again? It's because I want to check that the Bible's actually correct in every precept, and that's why I do that. And I did those numbers on myself, and then I got down here, and sure enough, it matches. I just want you to know why I'm repeating myself sometimes. <laughs> Verse 39, the donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. This is the warrior's half. As noted, it would mean that each soldier got two donkeys, but there would be about 6,500 extra that would need to be divided in some fair way between them. But the Lord's tribute of 61 would be taken out first. Verse 40, the persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. This is the warrior's half. 
As noted, it would mean that each soldier got one virgin, but there would be about 4,000 extra that would need to be divided in some fair way between them. But the Lord's tribute of 32 would be taken out first. In all, each soldier, this is one guy going into battle, who went to war came out with a bit more than 28 sheep, three cows, two donkeys, and one virgin. And that was only of the living beings. The other plunder is not even reckoned in the total. Thus, being a soldier was a very profitable deal, and the great amount they received would be a huge impetus for all able fighting men to volunteer for such battles. Verse 41, so Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eleazar the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. The priest's portion totaled 675 sheep, 72 cows, 61 donkeys, and 32 virgins. Remember, Aaron was the high priest. He had four sons. Two of the sons died before the Lord. Since then, he might have had, each of those two sons might have had a couple of kids, right? But they got all of that between just the priests. But you got to remember, things are being offered to the Lord. They need animals for doing this and that as well. But they, they fared very well. The Lord's portion is a good portion, all right? It was considered the Lord's heave offering, and it was accepted on his behalf by Eliezer the priest. As a side note to keep you interested, the word mekes, or tribute, was introduced in verse 28, just a couple minutes ago. It was seen five more times since then, this being the last time it will be seen in the Bible. So, hello and goodbye to Mekes. Verse 42, and from the children of Israel's half, which Moses separated from the men who fought, the number for those who did not go out to battle, meaning all of the rest of Israel, is detailed as follows. Verse 43, now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep. Of this, the Levites would receive 6,750 from that. Verse 44, 36,000 cattle. Of this, the Levites would receive 720 from that. Verse 45, 30,500 donkeys. Of this, the Levites would receive 610 from that. Verse 46, and 16,000 persons. Of this, the Levites would receive 320 from that. Verse 47, and from the children of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50 drawn from man and beast and gave them to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. In all, the Levites received 6,750 sheep, 720 cows, 610 donkeys, and 320 virgins. When they go into the promised land, they won't have agricultural land. So they'll have a little bit around their cities and that's it. So it's a lot for them, even though they're a pretty big number. They're getting a good deal, okay? We bear the shield and by faith head in. We gird ourselves with truth as we seek the reward. We have a helmet of salvation for the battle to win, and in our hand we carry the Spirit's sword. Yes, the Word of God is the instrument by which we fight, and prayer is the line to our side's head. Upon our feet is the gospel of peace, as is right, and we have prevailed in the battle. The enemy lies dead. The spoil is piled high from the battle of which we fought. There is great reward for those who entered the fight. On behalf of the Lord, the battle was wrought, and the rewards piled high are a beautiful sight. Our second thought today is not a man is missing, verses 48 through 54. Verse 48, then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds, came near to Moses. This would be 12 captains of thousands and 120 captains of hundreds coming as a united whole, and after the division of the living beings having gone so favorably in their direction, this would not be to submit a grievance at their unfair treatment. Certainly that. Rather, 
They must be amassing for something positive, gratitude perhaps, or maybe even something more wonderful. Verse 49, and they said to Moses, your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command, and not a man is missing. I read that how many times in the past couple weeks, and I break down in my heart every time I read it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. It is a rather astonishing statement, which, of course, some in history have called out as a fabrication of the truth. However, the very fact that they will make the offering they are about to make stands as a testimony to the truth of the account. Stalin once said that if only one man dies of hunger, that is a tragedy. If millions die, that's only statistics. This is, unfortunately, a true way of looking at death. If a single soldier, and I want you to think about it while I'm saying this, if a single soldier had died, the entire army would have come together to mourn that one loss, especially standing so close to entry into Canaan. Each and every living soldier would have taken that single loss as a personal failure. But, now think of it, if many had died of Israel, they would have taken it as a loss that was expected in battle, they would have written a warrior's song of remembrance and gone back to prepare for the next battle. There would have been personal mourning for their friends, but overall it would have been a time of celebration for the victory. You see how fickle we are? Yeah. However, neither occurred. Instead, they have come forward in acknowledgement of what is a true miracle. It doesn't matter if they attacked by surprise before sunrise or if it was a special Midianite holiday to sleep in all day. The expectation is that there would be losses. Based on the number of virgins and animals that were taken as plunder, the scholar Kyle estimates that the number of Midianites would have been about 130,000 to 150,000 people, of whom there would have been about 35,000 fighting capable men, excuse me, that would make the odds about three to one. Even with the advantage of surprise, the battle would have been an uphill one with many expected casualties. Instead, however, there was not only a rout of the enemy, it was a complete rout and an absolute victory. Only this can explain the next words. Verse 50, Therefore we have brought an offering for the Lord, what every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces. Five types of gold ornaments are named here, the identification of which is difficult for some. The bracelets and signet rings are pretty certainly identified, but the other three are debated due to the rarity of the words. Five is the number of grace, and this offering is based on the grace granted to the warriors. All are rare, and two words are new. The first is etzadah. It will only be seen twice. It comes from seada or a marching. Thus, it is a type of chain translated here as armlets. If you think of a chain, you got a link, a link, a link, like it's marching. So the word comes from marching, so they assume that it is a chain. All right. Another new and rare word is agil or ring. This comes from agol, meaning round, and thus it is believed to be something like a hoop-styled earring. It, too, will be seen just twice, once here and once in Ezekiel 16, verse 12. And finally, this verse contains the second and last use of the word kumaz, translated here as necklace. Can anybody tell me where the word kumaz was first used? I can't. So if you did, I really buy you a Maserati. I don't even remember. Anyway, it is some type of gold ornament, though the identity is not certain. These five types of gold ornaments are brought forward. It is debated whether only the captains brought them forward from their own booty or whether all of the soldiers gave of what they had to the captains who then brought it all forward. 
Either way, they state that they are bringing this offering forward, verse 50 continues, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. The word kafar, or atonement, simply means to cover over. In this, it extends to the idea of appeasing, or covering over for wrongdoing, and thus to make atonement. Scholars suggest that this was brought forward to make atonement for not having killed the women and the male children last week. Remember that? But that is not what they are tying the offering to. Rather, they are connecting the giving of the offering to the fact that no loss of life occurred. It can be assumed, then, that if there was a loss of life, they would not have felt impelled to bring this offering forward. Therefore, the covering or appeasement seems to be proactive, not reactive. They are gratefully acknowledging the Lord's care over them. If they failed to do this, then they would be sinning against the Lord. Ingratitude is one of the greatest offenses man is guilty of. How much more in a situation as rare as this? Verse 51, so Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments. The words of the previous verse, along with these words, show that all of what is presented is of gold. And further, it is gold which is maase or worked. That's important for what I talk about a little later at the end of the sermon. The gold is worked. It is not merely gold which was kept as money, but gold which is fashioned through works or deeds of effort. Of this gold, the record then says, verse 52, And all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. Scholars vary in what they believe the weight of a shekel was. The pulpit commentary assumes that a shekel equals 66 of an ounce. If that is so, then the total amount of gold presented as an offering to the Lord would have been about 11,000 ounces. As of 19 August, the day that I typed this sermon, that would equal at current gold prices about $16,613,850. Some scholars say that the five kings of Midian alone would be expected to possess that much gold. If so, then it is not an outlandish amount which would make the account implausible, but rather it would confirm the account is accurate and reliable. Further, in Judges 8, Gideon asked the men of Israel to give him a gift of the earrings alone, which had been plundered from the battle against Midian at that time. These were only men who fell in battle, meaning soldiers, and so they would not bear all of the gold of the family with them. The weight of only the earrings given by each man in his army came out to 1,700 shekels. Therefore, the amount here is not at all outlandish. It included all of the wealth of the houses and people and that of the kings as well. Verse 53, the men of war had taken spoil every man for himself. Although debated, as is usual, this seems to indicate that all of the men of war had gone about taking spoil, and that each of them gave from his spoil for this offering to the Lord. Others argue that it is telling exactly the opposite, and that only the officers gave of their spoil and everyone else gathered for himself without adding to the offering. The verses as written don't really answer the matter well enough for a fixed stand one way or another. Verse 54 finishes with this, And Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. This final verse of the chapter says that the gift that was offered up to the Lord was then brought into the tent, not the tabernacle, of meeting to be a memorial before the Lord. The New King James Version is replete with 
errors in that regard. They keep saying the tabernacle of the Lord, the tabernacle of the Lord, when it doesn't say that. It says the tent of the Lord, okay? It comes from the King James Version. It's got all kinds of errors in it. So there you go. But that's why I'm stressing that. This is the now tent of the Lord. The tabernacle of the Lord was said earlier in the sermon, and there's a reason for the difference, which we've talked about numerous times. Anyway, the idea here is that of the faithfulness of the people to show appreciation for the great deliverance that he had wrought. It is certain that thanks and appreciation wax and wane through time and circumstance. And so this memorial was to be a reminder that at one time the people were grateful and that the Lord would hopefully remember this and be merciful during those times when appreciation was lacking. It would also bear the remembrance that Israel had complied with the word of the Lord to take vengeance on Midian. They had mustered men and sent them out in faith that they would be victorious despite the small force which had been selected to carry out the task. And further, it is probable that some of the gold had even come from some of the women who had been brought as captives to the outskirts of the camp, and yet who were then sentenced to die without being assimilated into the people of Israel. It could be argued, now think of this, think of the duty of these soldiers, that as many as 50,000 women were ordered to be executed. And it could be argued that if there were 32,000 virgins who were spared, there may have been as many as 32,000 young boys who weren't. Now that's sobering. That would be over 80,000 people destroyed, and somebody had to do it. Supposing those numbers were high, what number could we reduce it to and still have the soldiers not care about what they needed to do? If the total number was an impossibly low 24,000, that would still mean that each soldier would have to execute two non-combatants. The offering of the gold was gratitude for the sparing of their souls, but it would also be as a memorial to the Lord that their souls were spared in order to complete the duties they were assigned and of which they certainly accomplished. The military force of Israel was the Lord's arm of judgment for an attack against his people. This meant that it was an attack against him. If the Lord wished to send, and think of this, God is just. We read all through the Bible that the Lord sends a plague. He even does it against his own people, Israel. When David alone sinned, what did he do? He had the destroying angel come through Israel and kill 70,000 people. This is the Lord's world, and we are his people, and what the Lord determines is right, no matter how much we don't like it. If the Lord wished to send a plague among the people, they would have been no less dead. But he chose this time to use Israel to defend the honor of Israel and the honor of his name. The gold presented to him had no more intrinsic value to him than anything else that could have been presented. But it carried the value of a sign of both obedience and of gratitude to him. King Saul would later fail to show either to the Lord, and it would cost him his kingship. Saul may have looked back on what occurred here at Midian and thought he was justified to have killed every Amalekite human and to have spared the animals as Israel did right here with the Midianites. But that was a different time and his were different orders. He was told to harem, completely devote to the Lord everything, and he didn't do it. Maybe he thought the gold of Midian still stood as a memorial which would atone for his failure to obey, but he was mistaken. Instead, Samuel spoke out his words of rebuke to Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 
and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. The obligation of the Lord's people at any time in history is to be obedient to the Lord in accord with his word as it applies to that point in history. We are being told as disciples of Jesus Christ to tell people about Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? Because that is what we are told to do by the same Lord that said, go execute all of those women and children. Are you doing that? Because if you're not, then you are failing in your duties. And yes, I want you to feel bad about that. I want you to because this is the Lord's world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If people don't hear that word, they are not going to be saved. All right? We cannot also go back to the law of Moses, for example, and attempt to be righteous before God by adhering to it. That is to demean the work of Christ, who lived out the law, and then who offers to us his righteousness as demonstrated in his fulfillment of the law. We cannot use the examples of either war against Midian or war against Amalek as examples of how we are to engage in holy war. Those were earthly battles of Israel by Israel and for the honor of Israel's God. Today, we may engage in earthly battles as citizens of the nation we are born into, but they are not holy wars. The holy war of the Christian is one which is outlined by Paul in the New Testament. Paul is explicit that our holy war is not against flesh and blood. Rather, it is a spiritual battle. There is no longer a need for earthly holy wars because Israel's ultimate battle, that against sin, was won by Christ. Now we follow suit in that same battle, and its rules for conduct are not optional. Just as Israel obeyed the Lord and destroyed the women and male children of Midian, we are to obey the precepts of the Lord as he has outlined them to us. If you are not actively participating in the war that we have been charged to conduct, such as grabbing some tracts and handing them out to people, you are not being faithful to the Lord who has so charged you. Church on Sunday morning is only meant to be a place of preparation for you to be ready to conduct your warfare all throughout the week. How many days are there in a week? Seven. Seven. How many days do you come to the superior word? Some will say one, some will say two. Don't say it out loud because I don't want to embarrass you. But that is the way it is. You don't, you're not here for the whole week. You've got something to do the other time that you're not here. Okay? Although Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6 are not the total of our obligations in this battle that we're to conduct, they do give a good summary statement of what we are to do. So I'm going to read them to you. This is Paul from Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not Israel fighting a physical battle but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I don't have to wear shoes because I just wear the gospel of peace. I'm glad about that. Above all, take the shield of faith 
with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword right here of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Even the apostle Paul wanted comfort, he wanted prayer, and he wanted the ability to speak as he should. All of us need to be in that same petition. Lord, give me the ability to get out there and do what I need to do. Remember what I said at the beginning of this sermon. Salvation is an infinite weight upon our shoulders. We're going to be saved forever and forever and forever. We ought to be infinitely grateful of that. Infinitely grateful. Let us be prepared, let us be willing, and let us be obedient to the calling. Israel was told to take vengeance on Midian, and a force of men went forward to do so. Their rewards were felt among all of the people of Israel. Likewise, when we are obedient to the charge set before us, our rewards will be great, and the entire body will prosper because of it. But just as those young virgins were brought into the nation of Israel as an act of grace and mercy, so we must come into the body of believers in the same way. I am now equating you with the girls that were brought into Israel because we are not Israel. We are Gentile believers, but we were given grace and mercy and brought into the covenant relationship. We have become a part of the commonwealth of Israel. Everybody seeing the picture finally? We must come with nothing in our hands but the simple petition to be granted life. The physical purity of these Midianite women is to be likened unto our spiritual purity in order to be accepted. And the only way that can come about is through a new birth. And that can only come about by coming to God through Christ Jesus. So, today you are admonished to first get right with the Lord through faith in Jesus and then prepare yourself daily to be right with the Lord through adherence and obedience to his word. May it be so for each one of us who desires to have our, here it is, the ma'aseh, or deeds of faith, brought before the Lord as a memorial. Now you know why they brought that gold. It was in type and picture. They didn't bring all the gold. It doesn't say they brought any gold that wasn't worked. There could have been coins that, you know, gold that's a certain weight or whatever. It doesn't say anything about that. It's the gold that was worked. And there were five types of gold, five being the number of grace. They were showing gratefulness and gratitude for the grace bestowed upon them by giving the works of gold. This is what we're being called to. If you don't believe me, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and then 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you're going to see that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there are going to be things that are burned up and things that are going to last. And one of those things that's going to last is gold. Next week is Numbers 32, 1 through 19. Are they acting as if it is a prison and Moses is the warden? It's entitled, Do Not Take Us Over the Jordan. That'll be our 62nd number sermon. Okay. I kind of skipped a call. What's that? Oh, yeah. I forgot the closing verse, too, which we'll get to in a second because I didn't do a call and I need to do that. I'm a little out of order today. That's okay. I am so tired physically from this past week. This was the most stressful week I think I've ever had. And I did. I never. You know what? Sergio was uh, uh, upset about something this week, and he got sick. And he says, Voitenkos always get sick when we get upset. And I was really upset about something this week as well, right? 
in my default position, because I'm a Garrett, is what? Anybody know what a Garrett does when they get stressed? They get angry really quickly. Yeah, Garrett's get angry. I, I've got two of them in here that will testify to that. You all know Ethan, call him up. What do you guys do when you get stressed? Okay, I never got angry that I remember this week. Maybe it had a dog peeing on the floor or something, but it had nothing to do with anything. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, whatever. I, I, I sat there all week and I was as calm as I could be. I said, Lord, this is your church. It's your information on the internet. Whatever. It'll work out. And so there you go. But that is our default position. I don't remember ever. I might have gotten upset, but I never got angry this week. Thank goodness. Anyway, the whole point that I'm making here is that we have our works before the Lord that we are to do. But you can't have works before the Lord until you are saved. So I've got to give you my salvation call, which is that Christ came. He lived the life that you and I cannot live. He gave that life up in exchange for your sins. He went into the grave dead. He took our sins away. And then he came out of the grave because he had no sin of his own. When he came out of the grave, guess what happened in the grave? The sin that was put on him from us stayed there. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Our sin is gone. God is not counting men's sins against them. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. Thank God for Jesus Christ. If you've never just simply asked Jesus to forgive you, please do so today. That is the whole reason why we're here. It's to one, learn about Jesus, two, grow in Jesus, and three, go tell about Jesus. Please tell about Jesus. Our closing verse comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Oh, here it is. I forgot this was our closing verse. I mentioned it during the sermon. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. Here's the work, the ma'aseh. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's ma'aseh, their work, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But guess what? Talk about eternal salvation. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Have confidence that you are saved and you are always saved. When you mess up and you say, how could the Lord still keep me saved? That's grace. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there. He's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? A little bit of a long poem here, but it'll go quick too. It's called The Spoils of Midian. Now the Lord, wait, before I give the poem, I got a question for you. This is going to be a give me, so don't go yet. This is going to be a give me. One of you is going to get this. Where in the New Testament is there either a division of a half or simply the term half used? A division of a half or the term half is used? Go ahead. Half shekel. Half, that's not in the New Testament. Think of another one. Oh, yes, there is. A half shekel, that is a division. That's correct. It's, uh, it, they, the word that they use, though, is a denarius or something. That's right, the half shekel of the temple. So I'm going to give that to you. He got that, okay? It wasn't exactly called that, I guess, in that version that I looked at this morning because I didn't have all week. You can go now. Anyway, um, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you all of the halves that I found. What I did is I just turned on Bible Gateway. And uh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Whatever. I, I didn't want her to feel obligated. Uh, you, he, you, you get your Maserati right here. Okay. 
it probably does say exactly a half circle when the versions all versions all I versions all I did was pull up a uh, uh, Bible Gateway, and when I pulled up Bible Gateway, the first one that came up was not a very good translation, the NIV, but I'm going to read them to you. Here you go. Mark 6, 23, up to half of my kingdom. See how easy this is going to be? You're all going, I don't remember any halves. Okay, verse 6, 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that much would take more than a half a year's wages. Remember that? Okay, hang on, we got a couple more. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. In reply, verse uh, Luke 10, 30, in reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. My question is, is he half dead or half alive? Okay, verse 19, 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here, now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Okay, verse John 6, 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. In John 7, 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. See how easy this is getting? Acts has one. Okay, Acts uh, 18, 11, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. James has one, which is citing Elijah again. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a yeah. half years, okay? And it, this isn't all of them. I know other versions will have better translations, but Revelation 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a yeah. half an hour. <laughs> Revelation 11, 9, 11, 9, for three and a Half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Eleven, eleven. But after the three and a half days, the breath from life, breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. And then finally, in Revelation twelve fourteen, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for th for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. There you go. Lots of halves. But Vic got one. You get a Maserati, Vic. Okay, the spoils of Midian. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, these words to him he was then relaying, count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast. Hear now my oration, you and Eliezer the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation. And divide the plunder in two parts between those who took part in the war where my fury was spent, who went out to the battle and all the congregation and levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who out to battle went. One of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep, according to this word, take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep, from all the livestock and give them to the Levites who the charge of the tabernacle of the Lord keep. So Moses and Eliezer the priest, as was demanded, did as the Lord to Moses commanded. The booty remaining from the plunder, which the men of war had taken in the war, was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle. But wait, there's more. 61,000 donkeys and 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately, thus by the sword, they did not fall. 
And the half the portion for those who had gone out to war was in number 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. That's a whole heap. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. Woohoo! The persons were 16,000 there in plain view, of which the Lord's tribute was persons 32. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering according to his word, to Eleazar the priest, as had commanded Moses the Lord. And from the children of Israel's half, as was brought, Moses separated from the men who fought. Now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. Once again, that's a whole heap. And from the children of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50 drawn from man and beast and gave them to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. As the Lord commanded Moses, then the dividing ceased. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds too, came near to Moses, and they said to Moses, their words to Moses did ensue. Your servants have taken account of the men of war who were under our command. Hear our word, and not a man of us is missing. Therefore we have brought an offering for the Lord. What every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets and bracelets and signet rings, so much we have scored, and earrings and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer the priests, these two fine gents, received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments. And all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord, from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds too, was 16,750 shekels. That's a whole heap, I'm telling you. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself, and Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold according to their word, from the captains of thousands and of hundreds, and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct, our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It, apply. Then we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we certainly pray today that you would be with us as we go forth and do works that are pleasing to you. We all have to stand before you. We've been reminded of that today. Every one of us that has been called and saved by the uh, blood of Jesus Christ is responsible for their conduct in your presence and there are going to be a lot of losses in our lives we certainly know that's true but help us to work on the rewards by uh, working to tell people about christ by learning your word by having faith that you are there even in times of trouble and difficulty pain and sorrow and lord you know the people at the beginning of this sermon that we mentioned that are having their own pains and sorrows and we certainly lift them up right now we ask that you be with them and Help them to get through these times which are so difficult in their life and uh, to get through them and to just get to a place where they can turn around and just keep praising you for the abundant blessings that they're receiving. And we know that that actually may not happen in this life. Some of us are destined to have all kinds of difficulties. And if that's so, we do have a hope which transcends our current situation. And we thank you for that. We thank you for what Christ has done. And in his name we pray, thanking you. Amen. Amen.